Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship on, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here as always with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest, and he is director of formation in St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Um, today, Father Stephen, we get to wrap up our series on the first three centuries of Christianity. So get excited. I know that there are more centuries after this one. I've heard. That's a spoiler. Uh, that's a spoiler. Uh, spoiler alert for our listeners. <laughs> but we're going to wrap up this series on the early church with um, the third century, the third hundred years. Um, so what's the, so give us the big picture here. Um, what's the, what's the, the flyover picture of what these, these last, these, these, this third, this third hundred year period looks like. This is the trial by fire. The church now is going to go to the age of genuine widespread persecution. Hmm. Systemic persecution hmm. will happen. That's yeah. not occurred so far. This is going to be, be a novelty. So the first, so we've got like the 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 first hundred years we're we're just starting out. The church spreads really fast. Second hundred years we get some negative reactions, purely very limited and local. Right, right, right. Second hundred years things pick up a little bit because Christianity started to raise its profile. So now Christianity's really raised its profile, and we're going to get even even worse backlash. Is that but largely saying? local on things? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but in the third century. That's this is when things really pick up. Okay, great. So tell me, so tell me what's going on. Um, tell tell me what's 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 going on to to cause this to to happen. You know, these sorts of things. People don't just get mad for no reason. Oh no, things were happening. Remember, we said this Pax Romana, this great Roman peace, which amazing. You know, the world was at peace for two hundred years. Mm -hmm. This is unbelievable in the ancient world, and suddenly we're having a lot of activity at the borders. Okay. But south, east, and north, everywhere outside we have activities. Like in the north, we have the great, you know, we have movements of peoples. We have the great German, the North European plain. You know, people are coming across, you know, are really pounding on the doors of the empire. Hmm. So there's enemy pressure, especially in the east and the north. There are always some Berbers and things, but the real thing is the east and the north are really a problem. And some people are saying, wait a second, this is what's going on. And remember we said, I... In an earlier episode, the Roman religion was about, you know, gods were like mobsters. You you, you gave them a free cup of coffee. You right. honored them. Yeah. <laughs> and saying that it's exactly, some people were actually blaming Christians for this. Got it. This is what happened. You know, the gods take care of us. We were always victorious under the Roman gods. Yeah. Look what is happening to us. Yeah. And what are these antisocial people over here? Maybe they have something to do with it. Yeah. Augustine will actually write the city of God to make an argument why that's not true. Mm -hmm. mm. He actually make the opposite argument uh, in the next uh, the next uh, century. He's going to make the argument. So it's your fault? <laughs> that, yeah. It's actually, if, if God is displeased, it's because you're persecuting Christians. Okay. <laughs> But the next thing is a perceived... Now, apart from that, whether you believe in the gods or not, as some people didn't particularly, is they would say, we need unity now. Mm -hmm. We don't need anything that's going to divide us. We're really under assault. This is yeah. the time for all of us draw together. Mm -hmm. Just practically speaking. To be Romans. You know, we've got to really focus on what makes us Romans yeah. and holding us together. And the trouble is you guys are all about division. Yeah, just, yeah. That thing. 
And the third, what didn't help, was this was actually the 1,000th anniversary of the founding of Rome. Mm, okay. In so... the exact middle of the century. 248 AD is the founding, uh, is the 1,000th anniversary. Wow. A, and so people were celebrating 1,000 years of the empire, of, of Rome. I should do we have the Republic and then the empire. Sure. But think of it this way. This is sort of a Roman version of make Rome great again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> is we need to go back to, you know, what are the things that made us great? Yeah. How yeah. are we getting lost now? How come people are attacking us everywhere and we seem to be losing battles and things? Right. Maybe we need to go back to those virtues that made us Romans to begin with. So it's sort of a backward-looking revival movement. I see. Of Roman see. values. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so this is the road to a more systematic persecution. Oh, yes. Okay. And the first is going to be at the very turn of the century, the very beginning of the century, we have a prohibition to convert to Judaism or Christianity. Mm, okay. Okay. There are too many Christians, you know, they, how can we minimize it? Oh, just stop where you are. Stop converting people. Okay, so you can be a Christian, but no one you can can't start being a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's very common in many places with the first step of persecution saying, well, you, you can keep your faith, but you can't yeah. convert, you can't proselytize. Sure, yeah, that sounds Then at, right around the time we're celebrating the, the thousandth year of the anniversary of the empire, the emperor Dacius decides for the first time, talk about systematic, every Roman must sacrifice to the gods and must have documentary evidence of having done so. Okay, so this is kind of an acid test. This is an acid test. Yeah. There's no getting around this, yeah. being in the right place. If you, oh, you just missed me that day. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has, it's like having a driver's license. Everybody has to have a paper called Labellus, a little piece of paper, mm -hmm. with, which is an official document that you have, in fact, you know, worshiped the emperor. I see. Okay, got You've it. You've offered the god, rather, worship uh, the gods. And so this really caused a crisis in the church. This is hard because this is hard to get around. So this, Some, is, this is a little bit like your birth certificate or something. Like you really, this is an official document. Official document. Okay. Yeah. And there are three. Actually, they had three different ways you could go. The worst could be they tried to make it easy. They tried to make compliance relatively easy because mm -hmm. they're trying. Here's what they did. The first thing is theoretically you're supposed to actually participate in a sacrifice. Yeah. That's unthinkable for a Christian. The other thing is just throw a handful of incense. Okay. On the you know the altar. Right, right. As opposed to sacrificing an animal, you know, sure. have, have, that'll be good enough. Or another thing to help, here's what I can do. Look, give me some money. I'll give you a certificate saying you did this. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Because it'll still show compliance and you, the idea that people would stop being so publicly noncompliant. Sure. So this was our first systematic, uh, and this caused some real divisions in the church. Yeah, because the church said you can't do all any any of those things, Any of right? those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the question would be, a lot of Christians in the middle of persecution um, were frightened. Right. And they gave in, and then they wanted to come back to the church, and there would be a real break in the church sure. over, what do you do with these people? Right, so that's where we get uh, the know, Cyprian and the Cyprian and, and yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've been over that. So, so, so what happens? How does this, how does this go for the, for the Romans? What really happens, to make a long story short, it's a very happy story, is the whole idea is that everyone saw in the ancient world religion was a unifying force. Its main purpose was, was, was what kept a society together. Mm -hmm. Like we think of law codes and things. Like our, sure. Americans would think of the Constitution and things, what makes us Americans, what keeps us together as a country. Yeah. And people saw religion as playing that role. And so the main purpose of religion was to keep us together. Well, it becomes clear the Christians, after going through this huge, they had some others, we haven't mentioned Valerian, for example. Uh, but all about the same time, 
it becomes very clear that the Christians aren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that means, wait a second, we can't get rid of them, but we have to have one religion. This is actually just going to lead to Constantine. Well, maybe Christians need to be that religion. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So it's got to be one. So if there's a, if there's a vacuum here, then maybe Christianity can step in. That's what's actually ultimately going to happen pretty much is people, Constantine, we have the story, you know, his conversion. But one of the things that really moved people was, look, we have to have unity. Religion does that, and maybe the answer is we need to switch. Right, and if this if switch this, horses, if this paganism thing is just not working out, that's not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> that's eventually what's going to happen. So actually, we have an edict of toleration shortly thereafter. It shows you that the, you know basically for the next forty years, uh, we're going to have, pretty, with one exception, uh, with Aurelian very briefly. He said maybe we could do something sort of like Christianity light. Okay. <laughs> so he came up with, why don't we have the Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun, is sort of monotheism. Okay, I see. Maybe I see. what they really want, but we don't have all the Christian stuff. It didn't work. Okay, It was I an see. abject failure. So take some of the strengths of Christian worldview. Think of a really bad sequel. <laughs> or like the off-brand version. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but that didn't last at all. That was just a, a tired attempt. So basically, we have from Galilee and from 260 now to the end of the century, we basically have toleration with, with a very brief interlude. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have when Diocletian comes, he will try the very last um, last persecution. Mm. And that'll end it, essentially. That's the final persecution of the Christians ends in 305, because now it's very clear they're not going anywhere. There's no support for this. What was his interest in persecuting Christians? Uh, he seemed like a pretty practical guy. Oh, yes. He was a very gifted. Um, his hope, uh, again, was he thought he had a way to get rid of them. Okay. Diocletian, point, his view is, look, you don't want to make victims out of people everyone likes, regular folks. Yeah. Go after the head. Cut off the head and the body dies. Okay, I see. So his view is, look, we'll get after the clergy. Uh, I You'll get after the priests and their deacons and their bishops and things. And that would be a way that we could decapitate the church. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it didn't work. Okay. Got it. Yeah, well, obviously it didn't work. <laughs> but Also, with Diocletian, one of the things he has to worry about is the empire under all this is really starting to drift apart. Mm-hmm. One thing we're going to see is with language. Remember I said how everyone by the end of the first century, Greek was really widespoken. Greek now begins pulling back. Hmm. For example, we're going to find out this century, from the very beginning, the church in Rome worshipped in Greek. Yeah. Because everybody could use Greek. The church now moves to Latin. I see. I see. Okay. We couldn't presume that everybody in the congregation could speak Greek. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so we've got kind of a linguistic drift going on here and that's showing the empire sort of breaking apart between the greek east and the latin west right right this is going to be with the church later on between the eastern greek-speaking church and the western latin speak more and more as time goes by the division will get bigger and bigger and bigger kind of kind of follows suit so they're going to actually divide the empire into two pieces Right, right. And then and they've Eastern got the, and Western. They got the two Caesars on each side, right? Right. They have an Augustus who's the top guy on each side. Mm-hmm. And one of those is supreme. And then you have each one have sort of has their heir apparent right after them is the Caesar. Right. So there are two two Augusti. <laughs> one yeah. Augustus here, one Augustus there, and then two Caesars, one here and one there. And the Caesar basically are the next person in line. Yeah. And I'm sure they get along perfectly well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you didn't have to worry about a retirement program. <laughs> You didn't have to save for your retirement if you're an Augustus or a Caesar. Their oh, man. Natural death was not a problem. Well, at least it was exciting. <laughs> it was exciting. Okay, so so the, so so there's the empire 
try to stamp us out doesn't work looks like actually what's coming apart is the empire itself um and then you know in the future constantine's going to figure out that maybe the christianity can be this glue uh, to hold things together yeah but during this time what's going on within the church how are we developing ourselves important thing is the episcopate um i like to think the uh, one of our original anglicans is cyprian mm, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, in north africa uh, cyprian of carthage and what he points out is that the bishop is the focal point of unity in his diocese He's supreme in his diocese for example he has a dispute with bishop stephen of rome mm -hmm. uh, actually our good friends he's a supporter of stephen on some other matters about the divisions in the church but there was a, a baptism argument that he disagreed with and he basically tells us well I'm bishop in my diocese, he's bishop in his. I mean, that was a... <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And his idea, well, what do we do with bishops getting out of line? Well, the bishops all together would take care of disciplining in synods. The, the local bishops together would take care of disciplining. But the idea is that the bishop is the fundamental point of unity, and the unity of the church in whole is all the bishops recognize each other. So that's where you get that conciliar... That's very vision. much the Anglican yeah. polity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. Is the bishop is that, but the bishops together... Yeah. Uh, will keep other bishops in line, but there's no supreme bishop who somehow, there's nothing like the Pope yeah. uh, this way who somehow just is the boss. Right, right. We have a lot of synods and local councils now. Is uh, Synod basically is when bishops get together at the local level. Mm -hmm. Synodos, what it comes from, is like we would say, um, coming together in Greek. It'd be sort of like the word Congress is exactly the Latin equivalent. Oh, okay, I Congress, see. Congress, yeah. you know, coming, cradier, you know, coming, coming together. Uh, so they come together to solve local issues. Hey, yeah. there's somebody's arguing about this. What do we do? Yeah. Okay. And we did have the crisis of the lapse. We have the Donatists in North Africa, at Carthage in North Africa. And in right. Rome, we actually have an antipope. We have, we have two rival bishops. Hey, I forgot about that. The Novation. Novation. That's right. That's right. That's right. Who brings about the innovation of it. <laughs> you can remember his name that way. He brings about the innovation of having two bishops of Rome. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's so there's some internal uh in some some internal tumult going on uh during this period. Yeah, the the, the question uh, uh around the, the lapse leads to more serious issues. Where's authority in the church? Yeah. Who, Let me give you an example, yeah. for example, uh -huh. that might help. One of the arguments, for example, is the people who actually had been tortured and things would actually stood up to persecution. They often felt by that they should have the ultimate decision on this. Right. Like I went through it. So I went, well, actually they would be for having mercy. I'm willing to forgive. Why can't you just let them back? Right. In? So I went through it. So I'm the person who should be able to tell. But I should be able to one yeah, to tell. So yeah. they often were claiming a special status as opposed to the regular church authority. I see. Okay. Okay. But Cyprian then is going to, is going to no. side with the, the actual succession of, of yes. the apostles. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay, so well, on our last episode about the second century, we talked about how um, Christians are starting to, uh, we're starting to get Christians among the elites and the intelligentsia people who could write and speak well. Um, this, I'm, I'm assuming this continues into the third century. Oh, yes. So uh, who have we, who've, who've we got stepping up? The great, uh, most of our, the ones people will recognize are going to come in the next two centuries mm -hmm. in the golden age of the fathers. But we have one of the most amazing people in the entire ancient world is Origen. Right. We haven't done an episode on Origen yet, have we? We need to give him his own episode. Yeah, this we really man do. is so important to the history of the church. One of the greatest thinkers of the ancient world. He wrote a lot too. Oh didn't he? my word. I don't know how he I don't know how he <laughs> ate. The guy never stopped writing and he wrote good stuff. Yeah. He yeah. wrote elaborate commentaries on the old testament. It's like there's, there's a new um there's a there's a musical that everybody likes about uh Alexander Hamilton right now, and there's a song in it called uh, Writing Like You're Running Out of Time. <laughs> so okay. I, so 
makes me think about origin actually because that guy wrote <laughs> he never stopped writing and he's amazing yeah he's truly uh now later on he actually goes over the edge uh theologically yeah several things yeah. we'll talk about that in a separate episode yeah. but while he was orthodox which is most of his life uh-huh. and his stuff was so valuable it continued to be deeply honored actually yeah. he was only condemned later on after his death right 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 yeah that's right that's right that's it wasn't right. during his life but uh, a few things that lead towards universalism and things mm-hmm. uh, caused uh, some uh, pre-existing souls, that kind of thing. Some of those, some of the thoughts that were buried in there were a problem later on. But again, this is a man not to miss. His, and he's had a very important uh, role in Christian ex- exegesis of the Bible. Right, okay. Clearly, you have to know that to know anything about how Christians look at the Bible, you have to know origin. Sure, sure, sure. Well, we got to do our own episode on him. We'll definitely do that. I think that would be a pretty rich, pretty rich one. I'm excited to get into it. And then we have one of the best sellers of the Christian of Christian history, so to speak, is we have Anthony uh, Athanasius. We've talked about in an episode. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, what happens is is that of course Athanasius uh, starts his work in the century. His most of it we'll think of is for the next century. But we have Anthony the Great was a hermit. Yeah. And his, uh, Athanasius wrote his life. He actually personally knew Anthony. And the story of the, the life of Anthony became one of the most influential books in Christian history. It's the basis of monasticism as a mm, movement. It yeah. created the whole monastic movement. Every, right. And if you read the book, you'll understand why. I said some stuff reads well now, so other stuff doesn't. The book's a real read. Okay, okay. So read Life of St. Anthony. Yeah, you'll Athanasius. like it. Uh, it's, you can see why, but a lot of people were profoundly affected by that book. So um, Life of Anthony. These are also guys, too, that are, you know, I, I think I've said this before in previous episodes, but one thing about these these figures is that they're also, as they're writing, they are also incredibly involved in what's happening in the church, right? I mean, like, it, it's, oh, yeah. it strikes me how, you know, Athanasius plays such an important political role, but at the same time, he he has the time to write, you know, all these amazing works. So Well, writing is how you become effective. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an amazing time, and what we're going to see as the church moves on, it's interesting. One of the reasons patristic theology and things is so unique is we're going to find ordinarily... This isn't the case of, or, but in our next centuries, we'll find out is the the chief theologians are bishops, right? Yeah, who are actually in pastoral. They were not administrative officers. Bishops were actually involved in pastoral work too. They were really the pastors of their flock, mm-hmm. and so it really has a sense that the theology is certainly informed by that experience. Sure, to me in a very profound way. I really love that whole patristic feel of of pastoral theology yeah. of people out there in in the work. Later on, what will happen, we'll see that with Gregory the Great. We make sort of a transition into the monk being the theologian. I see. And yeah. then Martin Luther gave this perfect, because he was a monk first, then became the Bishop of Rome, you know, but he, he's a monk. But we'll see monks sort of take over. Martin Luther was a monk, yeah, then he's he professors. Yeah, he's a professor too. And so we saw the trans, tra, tra, transformation to the academy. I see. Okay. Yeah. So theologians and the, the, the theology written in each period is going to be affected by that. Okay. okay. Pelican in his history of Christian doctrine does a beautiful thing saying, you know, that we, knowing that the basic flavors of the first period is who's doing the theology. 
a theology, a pastoral theology of bishops, yeah. a, a theology of intellectual monks, mm-hmm. or a theology of, of the academy. Right. So in the third century, we've, we've, we've got pastors doing theology. Yeah. Well, especially we're about to go into the fourth century. We're really going to big time have pastors doing theology. Sure, sure, sure. Origen okay. wasn't primarily a pastor, but the, the great writers of the next century will be. Got it. We're so, moving that direction. So, end of the third century, um, we've basically got the, the 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 Rome has its last shot at trying to uh, trying to get rid of this this new religion. Doesn't work. Paganism can't hold. Um, and so we've basically got the situation that the, the church, like we're here to stay. The, the Everyone knows by the end, we're here to stay again. The it's half hearted Diocletian. Uh, it was very sad. He tried to cut the head off. So we have some dramatic martyrdoms, but it wasn't like earlier. And that's really the end serious one. We have Julian, the apostate later, but that was almost a comic episode. Uh-huh. Okay. The idea you could restore paganism at that time. Everyone uh-huh. said, you are kidding. Sure. <laughs> um, it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, is kind of a, kind of a, a poser. Some of those, mov- some of those, uh, movies, you know, you try to take back old movies. Why do you take one that's really didn't work very well the first run? Yeah. <laughs> and try and reboot it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay, great. Well, anything else you have for us on the on this on this the 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 third century? It's going to come to the. That's going to bring our our uh, series to a close. Right, a dramatic change mm-hmm. because now we're going from being outsiders to how do we deal with a hostile world outside where the dangers from outside is what happens when we bring the outside in. Uh, you know, we're gonna, our our differences are going to be very different. We're now going to be coterminous. Yeah. With empire, and that means we're going to have new challenges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's also going to give the luxury to really dig down into our theology. Yeah, yeah. Because, and we, we can now meet, the whole church can get together. We used to have to have synods, local synods. Now with the empire, the whole church can gather together in council, or at least significant portions of it. Yeah, you can get a lot more done. A lot more done. <laughs> Well, great. Thanks so much, Father Stephen. Uh, thank you for listening to uh, Word and Table. We're uh, happy to bring to close this uh, special series on on uh, the first three centuries of the church. Um, we'll have to come back and do another one of these uh, in the in the future, maybe the next three or something like that. I think that'd All be right. fun. Great. Well, thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back in, again in a couple of weeks for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening. <laughs>